I would imagine that many of us have had the experience of riding our bike down the road or maybe even walking down the sidewalk and there's a dog that's on a leash that's up by the house and it comes running out and it either stops when it gets to the end of the leash or it gets to the end of the leash and gets yanked back. And I asked the question, have you ever wondered what that dog would do if it got off of that leash? Would it rip my leg off? Or would it be like, uh-oh, I'm loose, i got to do something. What, what, what would be the reaction of that dog? Well, it kind of got me to thinking about us as Christians. What if we were unleashed? What would we do? You know, not letting the boundaries of our comfort zones stop us from doing what we know we're supposed to be doing. When was the last time that you asked someone to come to church services with you? When was the last time you invited someone to a gospel meeting? When was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone that needed to hear that soul-saving message? You say, well, I don't know anyone. I can't find a single person to invite. Well, I want to remind you that Jesus tells us that the field is wide unto the harvest, but the labors are few. I believe that the laborers are few in many cases because we're leashed, that we bound ourselves. We want to stay in our comfort zone. But this morning, I want us to ask, think about as we ask these questions, what would happen if we unleashed ourselves to take the truth to the lost world? What would happen if we stepped out of our comfort zone and talked to that person that's close to us, the friend, neighbor, schoolmate, whatever it may be? if we talk to them about their relationship with Christ. Is my life being confined within the boundaries that I have set? You know, occasionally you can walk through a store and people have dogs nowadays. And occasionally you'll hear those dogs start to bark or attack someone or it sounds like it and you wonder how strong that person is that's holding that leash as Christians I want to wonder who's holding that leash that's keeping us in that comfort zone I believe it could be the devil it keeps us fearful of speaking, keeps us fearful of stepping out, keeps us fearful of doing what we're supposed to do. Say, hey, stay back here. Stay here. You're heal. Heal, boy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 it says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to reconcile to God. What he's telling us there, Paul is telling us that as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. That we represent the King of kings, the Lord of lords. As we go out into this world, we represent Him. 
As we live our daily lives, we represent Him. Our influence, our talents, our time, our money, all of those things are important in how we use them as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And how can we do that when we have boundaries? And I want to ask us, are we willing to step out of our comfort zone for the cause of Christ? Are we willing to step out and do what the Lord wants us to do? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24-28, through 28, "...of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I was in a deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils by the, in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among his false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the cares of all the churches." Do you think that Paul stepped out of his comfort zone when you read a passage like that? Do you think Paul stepped out there and did what he was supposed to do even though I'm sure that some of those things were very challenging to do so? But he did it. Brethren, how many of us are willing to step out of our comfort zone to invite someone, to encourage someone, to help someone, to show someone what they need to hear concerning the Gospel of Christ? Paul stepped out of his comfort zone. And you can see that drastic change in his life when he obeyed the Gospel. He went from someone that persecuted to the church to someone who taught the Gospel and shared the Gospel and made disciples for Christ. He went from being being a persecutor to being persecuted himself. I ask you this morning, if you were drugged into court this morning, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? You think about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are all at different levels in our Christian walk. But each one of us should be striving to transform our life into the image of Christ. The picture here that Paul wants us to see is looking in a glass, a mirror. And when you look in that mirror, whose image do you see? Well, you see yourself, but do you see Christ? in your life? Do you see Christ living in you? Is there something different about you than the person that's living for for the world? Do people see that? And do you see it? When they see your actions, how you talk, how you live, what's important to you in life, and they see Christ living in your life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Too many times I think we have that a little backwards. We conform to the world. We give in to the world. We don't want to offend somebody. 
We don't want them to get upset with us. They might not like us if we talk to them about Jesus. If we talk to them about the Bible, if we talk to them about their soul, they might not like us anymore. They might not want to be around us anymore. Here's what they might understand. If you talk about those things, they'll realize what's important to you. Are you living it so that they can see it? Not only that you're talking about it, but they see it in your life that you have that peace that passes all understanding, that you have that confidence that you know, like Paul had, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Do you know that? Do you have that confidence? Paul had that confidence. And brother, when we transform ourselves into the image of Christ, where people can see Christ living in me, then we can make a difference in this world. I believe that the biggest problem in in the world today is that people that claim to be Christians don't act like Christians. They act just like the world does. They do the same thing that the world does. Entertained by the same thing. Act like the same thing. Say the same things. And Paul's telling us that we, we shouldn't copy the behaviors that we see in this world. We shouldn't have uh, follow the customs and the things of this world. You see in this world today, people are calling good evil and evil good. We still have to have a standard that we live by and that's God's Word. And we have to do what's right. And so, how does this transformation take place? How can I develop the image of Christ in my life? How can you have the image of Christ in your life? How can people see that Christ is in you and that He's living in you? Well, first of all, we have to love God. You say, well, that's pretty basic, preacher. We have to love God. Everybody knows that. Well, everybody knows it, but everybody's not doing it. If you love God, Jesus says, if you love Me, what? Keep my commandments. So do we love the Lord? Do we love the Lord like we should? In Matthew chapter 22, and verse 37, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first commandment. And this is the first and great commandment. Do we really love God like we claim that we do? And the second thing that we need to do is we have to love our neighbors. Mark chapter 12, verse 31. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these two. than these. So those two commandments, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's important. How many of us love our neighbor like we should? Talk about God. Do we love God like we should? Do we love our neighbor? And you know, maybe, maybe we can be like the individual that asked Jesus, "Who is my neighbor?" The people that are around us, the people that need help, the people that need to hear the gospel message, the people that are lost and without hope. I want to unleash my potential. How do I unleash the character and nature of Jesus in my life? I have to have the same convictions that He has. And that is to seek and to save that which is lost. That's what He came to this world to do. Seeking to save that which is lost. So what does that tell you? It's 
the mission of our Lord. That's what He came here for. And that's what He did. Now by most standards, we'd say He didn't live a very long life. 33 years? That's not a long time. But while He was here, even at a young age, what did He say? I must be about my Father's business. He realized that quite early in life. And unfortunately today, many people don't want to obey the Gospel. They don't want to follow God. They don't want to do what He tells them to do until later on in life when we get out here to the end. Then I need a little insurance policy. I need a little help, God. And, and, and I, you know, take care of me now. But all my life I've wasted. Jesus realized the importance of being about His Father's business at a young age. And, and we need to understand that too. Paul tells us that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wasn't afraid. Paul wasn't ashamed of what the gospel stood for, what it represented, what it meant. He wasn't ashamed to declare it. And you can see how he was persecuted as a result of doing that. Guess what? The world's not going to want to hear the message of God. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to do it. Still, still tell other people about it. How many of us are doing it? You say, well, I'm planning to do it at some point in my life when I get around to it. Brethren, the Lord's church isn't a would've, could've, should've kind of group of people. We should be a group of people that are doing what God wants us to do. We have a Ladies' Day coming up. We have a Families' Day coming up. We have a Gospel meeting coming up. Even our regular services. All of those, believe it or not, can make a huge difference in people's lives. But how many of us are sharing that message with others, inviting them to those events, inviting them to those times, inviting them to our services. Let me ask you, and this is really maybe where it really gets to the heart of the matter. Has events like those that I just mentioned, and even our regular service, have they made a huge difference in your life? And maybe that's why we don't invite people because it doesn't really make a big deal to us or to me or to you or to whoever. And so, you know, I, it wouldn't bother me if we didn't have them. That's kind of the attitude that some would have. Maybe do have. But if worshiping God and assembling with God's people on a regular basis or even on a special time doesn't make a difference in your life, then you need to examine your life. I hope that it makes a huge difference in your life. God's plan for your life is bigger and greater than you could imagine. But we hold the key to unleashing it. We see how his conviction was important, and we see how he was about his father's business from the early part of his life to the very end of his life. Because what did he pray in the garden when he when he was asking God to remove this cup if it was possible? 
Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So from the beginning to the end, his mission was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. He had that conviction. We should have that same conviction. But we also need to have his humility. As Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 tells, tells us, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Paul makes it clear that Jesus gave us an example to follow. And that we should adopt that same attitude or frame of mind that was found in Jesus Christ Himself. It's not about me. That's what we all need to understand. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about living for Christ. What did Paul say? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do people see Christ in your life? It's about what I can accomplish for God with His help. Notice that Jesus didn't, did not just take the form of a human being. He took the form of a servant. Now, if anyone ever deserved to come to this earth and be held in high esteem and not be a servant and have everybody wait on Him, would it not have been Jesus Christ Himself? But Jesus came to this earth not to serve, or not to be served, but to serve. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. He went far beyond what we can do in our service. And He made servanthood essential to our mission. You know, when we talk about being a servant, basically when you look at some of the words that describe the Christian, it's a slave. We are a slave. We're indebted. We're, we're owned by Christ. He's our Master. He tells us what we're to do according to His Word. We need to listen to it. But in our world today, that, that term slave or servant is so negative that we don't even want to talk about it. We don't want to even use it. But Jesus came to this earth to go about doing His Father's will. That was his conviction, and he was humble enough to submit to his will. Think about what he said to Peter. He could call legions of angels down to fight for him. He didn't have to die on a cross, but he died because that's what his mission was. That was his purpose, and he was humble enough to accept his Father's will. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, which was read for us. I'm going to read it again. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about the so great a cloud of witness, <clears throat> let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so doth easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him that endured such contradictions of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Brethren, we're in a race. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as Christians, we are in a race. 
Now suppose one day you're laying on the couch, you're eating your Twinkies, you're watching TV, there's a knock on the door, you get up, you go to the door, and there's the Olympic committee there, and they say, hey, uh, can we come in? You say, yeah. And they say, you know, we have statistics on all people in America. We know your ideal weight. We know your body mass. We know how you scored on the presidential uh, fitness test. We know everything about you. And we have determined that of all the people in America, you are the one person that we want to have represent us in running a marathon in the Olympics. Now you're thinking, the only place I've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator. But you know, they got the statistics and they say I'm the guy. Well, after you get over the initial shock and say, yeah, right, you start thinking, you know, that'd be pretty cool. It'd be pretty neat to run in the Olympics. It'd be great to be able to hang out with the athletes, to have a billion people watch me on television run a race. And so you start to take it seriously. You get up out of bed thinking about running that race. You go to bed at night thinking about running that race. But it's not enough just to think about it. You've got to train for it. You realize that, guess what, I'm not in the shape right now to run a marathon. That's like 26 miles, is that right? 26 miles? so you start training. You start eating right. Become obsessed with running that race because you want to win. And you can picture yourself standing on that podium and the flag raising up and then playing a national anthem. And you bend over and they put that, that, that medal around your neck. And that's what gets you out of bed every morning. And that's what you live for. Because it's a chance of a lifetime. And then it dawns on you. Right now, I can't run a marathon. More to the point, I cannot run a marathon even if I really tried hard. Because guess what? Trying hard only accomplishes so much. And so if you're serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime, you'll have to enter that training, a lifetime of training. And you must engage your life or arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do by willpower alone. When it comes to running a marathon, you have to train, not merely try. I really believe sometimes that word try, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try to do this, I'll try, I'll try to talk to some. I really believe that that's our excuse and our way out. I tried, but it's really putting myself back on that leash. 
Don't try. Try's not enough. Because when it comes to running the Christian race, we have to do it. And that race, that Christian race that it talks about there in Hebrews chapter 12, has to be a great passion of your life. It has to dominate your mind. It has to occupy your every waking moment. You run that race to win. And it becomes a central focus of your existence. Running the race. It'll get you out of bed in the morning. It is what you live for. And you'll have to have a life of training. You'll have to work at it. You'll have to strive for it. It's not just going to happen. You must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. You have to have that passion, that love for God, and that love for your neighbor, whoever that may be, your next-door neighbor, your friends, your family, people that you just come acquainted with. You have to have a passion for all of them and their souls. Realizing that they're lost. That they need hope. And God is the only one that can give them hope. And that's when it comes to the, we need to also unleash the assurance. See, we have the conviction. We have the humility, or we should have those. Do we have the assurance? Jesus said in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. You see, we know where the end's at. We know where the end of this race will be. And that's our destiny in heaven if we're faithful. If we run this race while we're here on this earth as God would have it, then guess what? We have that place prepared for us. What a blessing that is to know. That's better than any wreath that could be placed on your head, a medal put around your neck, watching some flag go up and listening to some national anthem. It would be better to have your home in heaven. Don't you want to go there? What a great assurance that we have. We can have that attitude that Paul had, as I mentioned earlier. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. He didn't say, I tried and tried and tried. He said, I did those things. And brother, we can do the same thing. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's a positive statement. That's a promise. He's going to prepare a place for us. And I will come back. And take you with me that you also may be where I am. So we must live our lives with that destiny in mind. The question is, does your life define your destiny? If life was to come to an end right now, the Lord come back, how would you be on that race? Would you be involved with that race? Would you be doing what you're supposed to do? Would you be striving? I understand that we're all at different maturity levels on that race. But whatever level you're at, are you faithful to God? 
That's really the question. I want you to look around in your life and think about people that you could invite to services. I want you to look around and see people that need to hear the gospel and seize the opportunities to share that gospel message with people. Say, well, I've tried and tried and tried. Well, keep doing it. Be the example. Show them that God is a priority in your life. That you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And that you love them as yourself. That's our mission. Are we living up to that mission? I hope that we are. Are you on that race? Are you running that race? Because at the end, there's two choices, two destinies, heaven or hell. We don't want hell to be our home. The Lord doesn't want that to be your home. The Lord makes it possible that you can have a home with Him. But you have to follow what He tells us to do in order to get it. He tells us that we must be baptized into Christ. That means go down in that water and come up out of that water. Before we can do that, we have to hear that message. We have to believe that message. That faith must be based upon God's Word. We must believe that He is the Son of God. We need to make that confession. Turning away from our sin, that means a change of mind that we're no longer going to follow the world. We're going to do what the Lord wants us to do. And you see that in the life of Paul. And as a persecutor of the church, he made havoc of the church, but then when he obeyed the Gospel, he changed instantly. That's what we need to see in our lives. doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. Because the Bible tells us that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. And God's made a way so that as a Christian, we can come back and make things right. And so if you need to do that this morning, we would encourage you to do that. I don't know what you wait on, why anybody would want to wait with the glorious invitation that the Lord has given to us and the promise of eternal life. Don't put it off any longer. If you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing. There's a